is the Unintelligent Chat Show, a place for chuckles and a podcast for the curious. Here, Rob and Lloyd attempt to teach you something new every week and invariably fall short. Over to you, gentlemen. All right. Thanks. Thank you, Gandalf, and <laughs> <laughs> welcome. Robert. Every time. I love how you were saying just before this, Lloyd, that the intro always feels like the worst thing ever. So I think you should apologize to Gandalf, actually. No, because he works for me. <laughs> Take that, you stupid wizard. Get back in your... Do they live in trees? No. <laughs> Do they live in trees? I was, no, I was thinking more of like a mystical glade, which is made of trees. Um, but- I was picturing an old man squatting in a branch. <laughs> Gandalf. Stay back. <laughs> Get a toilet, you son of a bitch. <laughs> Hi, uh, Rob. Hi, Lloyd. Welcome to episode seven of season three of the Unintelligent Chat Show podcast. And we may be firing our <laughs> hobo wizard. <laughs> <laughs> or at least paying him more so he doesn't have to live in a tree. <laughs> That's not our job. He provides a service. And we give him the lowest amount of money we can afford. Which is zero. You know that's not true, like no, but we did pay minimum amount. <laughs> what are you? Uh, what are you? What are you supping? This morning, I <laughs> nailed a quick coffee, <laughs> and then Ooh, I, saucy. Yeah, nope, just wet. <laughs> <laughs> Even better. <laughs> this morning, I am supping on a beer by Humble Forager called Coastal Sunset. And well, that sounds nice. The can is like a really beautiful, like watercolor painting of someone taking their dog for a walk with a backdrop of the ocean and sunset. It's quite calming. Very nice. It is a fruited dessert sour, and the tasting notes are inspired by a fruity almond crumble cake, West Coast plums, Oregon blueberries, California lemons, layer juicy berry sweet tart flavors, backed by a creamy coconut almond cake tone, then dusted with cinnamon and vanilla. Did you get all that? Like, pretty much. Wow. It's it's a lot. Good job. Whatever name Brewery Rub said 30 seconds ago. You're going to have to rewind for that. Get us another download. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's how that works. <laughs> yeah, definitely. What are you supping on, Lloyd? Right now, nothing. But partway through this recording session, I will get myself a glass of red vine. Is that a guarantee? No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I won't hold you to it then. <laughs> It would involve me having to get up and move, two things that I am loathe to do at the best of times. I strongly believe in you. I believe you have a oddly specific number to give us. Unusual. Oddly specific and thinly veiled. It's the best kind of distance mm. between us, Lloyd. So today it is a teeny tiny distance. Well, the distance is the same. It's a teeny tiny measurement. Between Perth and Boston, there is just a mere 4.8% of the distance from the Earth to the Moon. Wow. In further thinly veiled moon distances, it is also 1.71 times around the circumference of the Moon between us, which is more than I expected. Yeah, that's more than I expected, but it's less than I thought of the distance. Space is big. (laughs) Space is large. Welcome to the unintelligent chat show. (laughs) Where you learn things like how big space is. Very is the (laughs) answer. Very big. End of episode. Oh, we should make a mini podcast where each episode is 30 seconds of trash. 
instead of the usual 45 minutes of trash <laughs> that we produced on this one. Hey, now. And finally, if you were to drill through the core of the moon, do they ha- does it have a core? Through the center of the moon and out the other side. You'd only have to traverse that distance 5.38 times to travel between Perth and Boston, Lloyd. Wow. Isn't that unbelievable? And why? Why would I give you three different moon distances? Well, my fact, Rob, is about the destruction of the moon. Oh, then how would we measure how far away you are? It wouldn't work anymore. We would just have to guess. <laughs> I'm terrible at guessing. So, a fella named Alexander Abian. Avian? Well, like the bird? Abian. Like, like the bird, but with a B. <laughs> a bird already has a B in it, Lloyd. <laughs> it's another B. Burb. It's a burb. God, I hate the internet. He was Iranian-born, Armenian-American, lived in Iowa, had a wild theory. I couldn't think of a better word than wild. It's pretty wild. Had a theory that if you blew up the earth, the fucking hell. (laughs) (laughs) Then we would all live on the moon. (laughs) If you blew up the moon, it would solve virtually all of the problems on earth. All right, before telling anyone anything further about that, do you believe Alexander Burb? from Armenia, Iran, and America. I was curious to read further and was quickly educated that it's one of the stupidest ideas anyone's ever had. To be honest, based on episode five's Yarns with Sean, it sounds like something your mum might believe. (laughs) From the Flat Earth Society. Yeah. (laughs) Everyone's going to now think Sean doesn't believe in science. Oh, man. Yeah. It's yeah. not true. That, it was just a worry. She definitely thinks the Earth is, is round and that climate change is real and science is great. And let's talk about the moon. Yeah. And if you have the moon, that will solve all our problems. Nice one. <laughs> so he, he wrote this in the university newspaper at Iowa State University in 1991. Yeah. This. Sorry. Sorry to jump in. I'll let you finish. Uh, I'm going to let you finish. <laughs> But this is my Taylor Swift in this situation. <laughs> e- isn't that what you always wanted? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I suppose. This is way more recent than I thought. When you sent it to me, I was like, it's one of them old philosopher type people. But it's not. It's from the 90s. Nope. <laughs> it's from 1991. Die Hard had been out for two years and this guy thought blowing up the moon would solve our problems. Yeah. Although I hadn't been out for any years yet. so Not, not me. Mm. Earth, was, Earth wasn't even worth being on at that point. Not even worth it. It's what we term as... Pre-Robin Lloyd. Yeah. Pre-Worth. B-R-L. Pre-Worth Earth. Pre-Worth Earth. (laughs) Yes. So, he put this in in the campus. He said, you make a big hole by deep drilling Uh and you put an atomic explosive and you detonate it by remote control from the Earth. Wow. Um, His theory being that it would stop the Earth from wobbling, which would basically mean seasons wouldn't be as extreme. It would moderate the weather. He'd get rid of events like hurricanes, floods, wildfires blizzards etc right hurricanes floods wildfires and blizzards are bad but like changing of seasons i quite i quite like that yeah yeah yeah, yeah, (laughs) i agree and i think there's a lot of animals that rely on them to survive yeah we rely on them to survive yeah bunch of plucky upstarts from a program called nasa oh you mean those guys that call themselves scientists yeah quote unquote (laughs) assholes so they they just like definitely don't agree with him which, I mean, you don't have to be a scientist, really, to understand. Yeah. So, there's a couple of reasons why it wouldn't work. But their main one is not to do with seasons or anything. It's just that if you blew the moon up, all of that debris would come crashing onto Earth and would eliminate all life on Earth. 
Yeah, so but that the would be seasons wouldn't change but, anymore, Lloyd. So no, there'd be no blizzards. Sounds pretty good to me. Yeah, yeah. So upside ups and downs, pros and cons <laughs> to it. Um, in fact, the quote from the NASA representative said, "Technically, it would solve all of our problems." We'd just all be dead. Oh, I get it. Because we created all the problems. Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, damn it. And this, this fella, Abian, Burb, Alexander Burb. <laughs> I was just going to call him that he, now. He, he claims that people who dismiss him and Lloyd, his ideas. Claimed. Yes. Claimed. He's dead. Claimed. Yep. Rip. <laughs> Rip. God, you sound like a, mil- a millennial. You sound like a Zoomer. He claimed that people who dismissed him are the same type of people who dismissed Galileo. Wow, huge claim. Bit of a complex this guy has. Yeah, shame that he's complexly dead. Also, I'm not, I'm not, I don't have a, a great grasp on the American university education system, but you went to he one. Was teaching at the Iowa State University, and I just don't know if that's where Galileo would have gone if he was alive now. <laughs> Which don't want to shit on Iowa State University. Seems like but. you already have. If you go there, send us an angry letter and uh, we'll try oh, and turn it into more content. <laughs> I'll be shitting on Iowa later. So stay oh. tuned, Iowa people. It gets worse. Oh, please. That's exciting. That yeah. thing that you just said, the full quote is, I am raising the petulant finger of defiance to the solar organization for the first time in five billion years. Those critics who say, dismiss Abian's ideas are very close to those who dismiss Galileo. It's either, like, very witty. or Yeah, it's either, like, deep comedy, deep satire, or he's... Because at this point, he's, I think, in his 70s or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's written... I mean, he's he's been writing papers since, like, the 70s in the US. And they're not all about blowing up the moon. He's, like, a genuine mathematician that did, like, quite a few good things. Yeah, he's contributed to the, the fields of mathematics and science, but... Famous for this stupid thing. <laughs> Which is like, maybe it's what he wanted to be remembered by. Maybe he got to the end of his life and was like, wow, maths is so not worth it. Let's make myself real famous and then cack it. Yeah. So, yeah. so he wrote he wrote three books, published more than 200 genuine papers, and also proved three, like, named mathematical theorems in his field. Like, things that people were like, this probably sounds about right. And he was like, oh, it, it is right. Look at the numbers that I did. Good job, Alexander Burb. Yeah, nice burbing. <laughs> Do you think he lived in the burbs? Hey. Hmm. Or in a tree, like a burb and a wizard. <laughs> wow. So this is one tree in Iowa somewhere. Everyone's like, oh. <laughs> just scientists and wizards living together. <laughs> Isn't science all just wizardry anyway, Lloyd? That's true, Rob. It's a very good argument. <laughs> there are a couple of other arguments against the destruction of the moon. Oh, only a couple? Yeah, yeah, yeah. One being <laughs> that the current nuclear arsenal of mankind probably wouldn't blow up the moon. Even if you drilled to the core and put them all down there? It would probably crack the crust, but would be unlikely. And they, there's he- they hesitate to say it would even crack the crust, but it very likely wouldn't shatter the moon. Well, now that we've made that scientific hypothesis, don't we now need to test it? We do. We could test it on one of Jupiter's moons. They've got lots. What? No, it's got to be our moon. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense, Lloyd. <laughs> well, we've only got one, though. We should be certain before we test it. I'm just trying to solve all our problems. Also, if <laughs> the huge debris of the destroyed moon, moon crashing into <laughs> Earth, destroying us, isn't what kills us, yes. it would, in fact, heat the atmosphere enough to kill us. Super. By all of that debris falling through the atmosphere. So it changed um, the four seasons into one really hot, terrible season where we all die. 
Exactly. Cool. Yeah. So cool. 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 I tried to find the campus. I saw some some references to this actual article he wrote oh, in the campus sure. newspaper. Yeah. Couldn't couldn't actually find it. It was originally posted in People magazine. Yeah. So I f- I tried to find that magazine. And I found pictures of the cover. It's not even referenced on the cover. I think this must be like a paragraph in like yeah, page 20. one of those. He's very smart. He's he's a really smart guy. I would like to know his thinking behind it. But I think I think it was deep comedy. Maybe like comedy slash like marketing for a book he published or for the university or something. I'm yeah, not sure, but. maybe. Because like it got, it was widespread enough that people from NASA felt they had to like rebuff his claims. Yeah. You know, there must be like hundreds thousands of crackpot theories that surface on the regular and NASA's mm-hmm. like okay you guys but this one they were like mm, no <laughs> damn it burp. Yeah, this <laughs> we have to address that this wouldn't work yeah which means yeah through people magazine and whatever else because this is like this is early internet like really early internet yeah it, i wouldn't even say that it's anything like the internet we know now Mm-mm-mm. it's og internet where Mm-hmm. Yeah, look, I have zero concept of that. It sounds hard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you couldn't just Google things that you wanted to know and then distribute your trash opinions on any possible streaming medium that you want under a fluorocolored banner. Yeah, that's us, Lloyd. By the way. Oh, shit. <laughs> that's what I've got on our avian scientist. I've got <laughs> a, a brief offshoot to cover, but would you like to chime in? I would love to chime in <laughs> i get told that i chime in too much but here we are not by me listeners i honestly could not care less <laughs> please do all the talking <laughs> i just want to be credited having listened to you make the podcasts it's not true i would be nothing without you lloyd oh i'd be better without you <laughs> sorry <laughs> we're a good team and i would like you to chime in all right so i was Really hoping to find some genuine Earth and or Moon destruction plots. Ooh. Like in the vein of like James Bond or Austin Powers style villains. Yeah, something that the government's like, we actually stopped someone recently who... Yeah, I really wanted to find something like that. But um, I feel like I'm doing this a lot to you. Lloyd, I made a game. Oh, it's not actually a game. <laughs> Lloyd, I found something really interesting. Oh, I actually didn't. Here's some subpar facts to fill in. <laughs> so no, I, I didn't. I had a... It was probably at least like a five minute Google. It doesn't mean it hasn't happened, though. It just means it's still classified. Ooh. Yeah, okay. Good point. If yep. if y'all out there know of anything, any plots, genuine plots, <laughs> genuine or otherwise even, foiled by the FBI or... Email us at notacop at gmail.com. <laughs> if you're planning to destroy the moon, we'd like to, we'd like to be a part of it. <laughs> we would. We, we would like to uh, sponsor that attempt. Yeah, we were not yeah. not financially. I mean, let's not get carried away. We also have no nukes. Yeah, we'd like just to be involved. You can find a role for us. <laughs> just want to be included. Commentary. <laughs> oh, they did it. We're all gonna die. So uh, what non non world ending <laughs> facts? So after that, I was like, well, okay, maybe I'll try and look up some real life supervillains. Ooh, which was okay. far more successful, but in a double disappointment. Also, way more depressing. Because uh, because it's like really people. really bad people that have done really really terrible things, and I was like, oh, that's not like the TV comedy villain that I wanted to talk about. So instead yeah. of making jokes out of them like a responsible adult, I'm just going to tell you that there are terrible people in the world. Thank you. 
Like, how can it be so hard to find a comical supervillain with grand plans for world destruction who is foiled by the FBI or ASIO, if you're in Australia, before they could actually hurt anyone so that I could turn it into content? It seems like it should be easy. Should be easy. Also- We should do it. (laughs) We should- Maybe this is our villain origin story. We barely have enough time and drive to put the podcast together. (laughs) Not entirely sure we could come up with a suitable plot that requires foiling by- the fairly average Australian spy agency. I'll work on it. Imagine if there was a Hollywood movie that featured ASIO agents <laughs> instead of the FBI. Yeah. Well, I think the downside is that you'd have to explain it. Like when the FBI <laughs> turns up on screen, you're like, oh, shit, FBI is here. That's that investigating shit. It's getting serious. That's because they've been in all the movies. You can't yeah, have that fair. without starting ASIO in the movies. It's unfair. Yeah, you're not wrong. I'm not going to do anything further about that. <laughs> just lamenting be angry anyway on on this list amongst the terrible people there was the former australian prime minister tony abbott <laughs> like <sighs> next to genuine warlords and like dictators tony abbott was thrown in as a genuine worldwide supervillain for potentially I mean- destroying the climate with his terrible fossil fuel industry policies and i was like is that comparable to like child soldiers and genocide <laughs> Yeah, it's it's. I mean, he's a massive bell end, but I don't know if I consider <laughs> yeah. him a super villain. I think he sh- he would suit a bell end list more than a genuine s- super. We're gonna we're gonna. If you know any bell ends, send us them on the Submit, email. Yeah, and they have to. You be, know, we'll make a bell end list. We will hashtag bell end list. Genuine bell ends. <laughs> hashtag Not- bell end list is so good. <laughs> is it bad people or that. is it just a bunch of dong ends? Yeah, don't send us pictures of bell ends. <laughs> And then the only other, like, vaguely chuckle-worthy one on this list amongst genuine criminals was a televangelist faith healer from, I assume, somewhere like Iowa called... His name was... Still shitting on Iowa. Big fan. Yeah. (laughs) Big fan of Iowa or shitting on it? Shitting on it. Always. Do we know anyone from Iowa? Yes. I will cover that after... (laughs) I'm so excited. (laughs) So this televangelist faith healer's name was Peter Popoff, which is also great. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> great enough for a hmm uh, yeah he was genuinely exposed as a fraud for like ripping desperate people who couldn't afford health care off and all that stuff nice. and i think he got charged and fined or something and then he just went straight back to doing it again and is now quite rich doing the same Ugh. shit just people like ah yeah that was probably that was that was the, that was the devil trying to ruin him He's a savior. He makes it onto the bell end list. Oh, definitely. So we got the first mm-hmm. two entries for the bell end list, and we need more. Yeah. So what's this? What's this fella's name? Peter Popoff. <laughs> Peter Popoff and Tony Abbott. Use that as your like base for picking your bell ends for the hashtag bell end list. Yeah. Send them through to whatever our Gmail is. Yep. <laughs> uh, oh no, actually, it's snail mail. There's a tree in Iowa. <laughs> um, where G- Gandalf is living, and he'll an he'll angry pass. wizard named Gandalf will get it, and a dead scientist. Anyway, uh, <laughs> so I, unfortunately, I didn't find any cool world-ending plots. Just a couple of bellends. Yeah, dang. To be fair, if you spend enough time on the internet, you will find a few bellends. Yeah, among plenty of other things. Hmm. So tell me more about Iowa. I'm desperate. So I was struggling at first with an offshoot to find. Yeah, because it's not, not, not much after moon blowing up. Yeah, I know. And I was like, well, maybe there's something about Iowa State University. There's some, I'll look into their history and find some like conspiracy or some myths. Oh, uh, smart. Nothing. Damn it. So then I was like, let's find something interesting about Iowa. 
nothing <laughs> so then i was at, it's a passive shit on iowa <laughs> so then i was at dinner tonight and my father-in-law is from iowa and my oh. wife said hey lloyd is doing a podcast tonight and might reference iowa do you have any fun facts about iowa smart and he proceeded to tell me the two most boring things i've ever heard <laughs> does he listen about corn uh no I, he doesn't know how to use a phone or a podcast of course it's about corn oh good and after it finished i was like cool yeah thank you confirming that iowa is the most boring state in america <laughs> can you tell me one of the facts about corn or were they so boring that they've just gone out the other ear no well here's the thing is it wasn't he was just like there's a lot of corn it's like a corn hub of of america. and kim was like why iowa like what's so good about iowa for corn is it like something about the soil and he goes it's just like everything you know just like the the air and, and the sun it's like you don't know why <laughs> they just planted a bunch and that's why they have a bunch of corn <laughs> Yeah, Isn't exactly. it because the government made subsidies for corn? I don't know. That was a whole thing. Chris told me about it once. So, Iowan, Iowa, Iowans, whatever Iowa, Oh, it. that's happened before. Yeah. Reach out, complain. Honestly, I don't give a shit. I'm not threatened <laughs> by you at all. Yeah. Unless you're planning on taking out a hit on Lloyd, in which case it will be threatened and it'll be a fun story. That's true because the hitman won't be from Iowa. <laughs> and you might actually die. Oh, then the, <laughs> although they'll try to pay him in corn and he'll be like, no, I actually need money. After my Iowan attempt, mm. I decided to research what would a moonless world be like? Not oh. it's been blown up. Just, just gone. Sna- snap your fingers and it's gone. Oh. Uh, people used to think that without the moon, the earth would tilt something like 45 to 85 degrees, meaning that the sun would beat down on the earth's poles and seasons would become really extreme. So we'd oh. have like no sun winters and all sun summers and basically everyone would die yeah however it's terrible all sun summers come on not true at all new computers have figured out that it would be probably like 10 degrees over half a billion years so there would be over 500 million years like things like ice ages but to uh-huh. us today as in 2022 would experience not much if the moon and just I think, disappeared i think the days would get a bit shorter over time what yeah. we it would and take the, the that tides, long the, if you just the tides would get a bit weaker if you just yeah. fully remove the moon it would take that long for like we would barely notice anything in our lifetime yeah the tides might change like the where the ocean what the times of the tides and how far up and low it goes on beaches and i stuff. don't really know what they do anyway so yeah but what if the moon was twice as big yes <laughs> yes <laughs> nothing nothing would change nothing oh. would change. <laughs> But (laughs) what if the moon was the size of the sun? Surely then we would be enveloped by moon. (laughs) Yes, the moon is 239,000 miles away from us, but the radius of the sun is 432,000 miles, so we would be obliterated into dust. (laughs) Just like it would pop into that size and we would be pointed off like a baseball. A baseball? (laughs) So American. Like a cricket ball. Just like flying through space. Do you reckon? Surely we wouldn't all die immediately. So, say it's going to be impact, right? Because it poops to that size and boings us off. So, say it impacts so on the other impact, side of the world from us. Well, you're on the other side. They all die. Say it's like there are three points on a globe. We're on two of them and the impact is on the other one. Yep. Do you think we would die immediately? I mean, if a meteor crashing on Earth almost destroyed all life, I'm sure the moon the size of the sun bouncing into us would probably... But let's, let's assume that it bounces safely right yeah and we just so i think so the, the impact spot people are crushed oh definitely and that would be what about the wind the windward side would they ex- like if you're on the sides would you be all right what if you're like hurtling through space well, on the front of the earth we'd need some science person to tell us how fast we'd be going yeah 
Well, it's acceleration I didn't, I didn't from into that. Oh, you, you didn't do any sums? No. Oh, okay. I think we would definitely all die at some point. Yeah, I think we would die. I think we would die instantly. Really? Well, maybe we we've been battered out of our own atmosphere by the speed of it, and then we would just immediately oh, die. Ooh, interesting theorem. Yeah. Let's 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 prove it. Science. But Rob, I, I continue. But <laughs> what if the moon <laughs> was made of cheese? Yeah. <laughs> At what size, Lloyd? A moon. So okay, this is this is pretty interesting, actually. Okay, so. <laughs> Cheese is less dense than rock, so the moon yep. would expand by about 500 miles. I don't uh, know so why it just said that. Well, that's assuming that the moon stays matching the same the weight. Weight, right. So the, the moon's expanded by about 500 miles. Then the water and the casein protein that make up the cheese would begin to separate out. And the caseins... Because would... of gravity? Lack of gravity? Space. Yeah, spacings. Yep. The caseins would move towards the core of the moon, and as the pressure increases on those casein proteins, they would break down, okay. releasing nitrogen and ethane, which yep. would rise to the surface and create an atmosphere. Now, the atmosphere would okay. begin to trap sunlight, yep. and the surface would be warm enough to form oceans from the separated cheese water. Uh, okay. Good. But this cheesy water would not last super long because the gravity is not strong enough to hold on to this atmosphere. Right. So eventually the atmosphere would disappear, the water would disappear, and you'd be left with this carbon-filled rocky shell that wouldn't taste, feel, look, or smell anything like cheese. Would it pretty much approximate the moon, however, if it's a rock shell? That's what I deduced. <laughs> so like so you've, you've the turned moon it into cheese. used to be made of cheese is what we're getting at. <laughs> oh. That's a solid theory. Fossilized cheese. Fossilized cheese. <laughs> can, can we grow things in fossilized cheese? Shut up, NASA. Matt Damon could. <laughs> he was on Mars, you idiot. Oh, yeah. That's fossilized chocolate. Yeah. <laughs> eh. That was good. That was good. <laughs> well, I like that. That's, that's very good. I thoroughly enjoyed that. I had a question, and then it just it left my brain. Oh, it's convenient because, oh, I was going to say I didn't have an answer, but shoot. <laughs> where did the original moon made of cheese set it's not even a step it's not a theory that except for the one that you just described to me it's a thing like oh the moon is made of cheese where did, where did that even come from let's let's make some guesses and we'll see who's closer okay i reckon it was like greek times not like greek greece and it wasn't like a guy like mykonos in greece today like ancient greece <laughs> when you say greek times i immediately think of patting <laughs> on the greek islands lloyd come on yeah of course i think Sorry. of historical greek times <laughs> <laughs> yeah i reckon i reckon if not a genuine theory i reckon some some philosophers and writers would have like mentioned it as as a laugh but we're talking about greek times, Ancient greece times. <laughs> greek I, times. that's like that's like what a thousand bc okay it's i reckon roman right i reckon it was more recent i reckon it was maybe 18th or 19th century people using telescopes and I think they've seen the cratering and some smart ass mm. Oh, it looks like cheese. Are you Googling it? Nope. All right. I'll uh, Google it. Do, 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 do. There was never an actual historical popular belief that the moon is made of cheese, typically used as an example of extreme credulity, a meaning that was clear and commonly understood as early as 1638. Oh. Which is pretty much exactly when you said. No, I said. 18th or 19th so i was a bit late yeah but, but i said 1000 bc so i'm just gonna google straight up did the ancient greeks think the moon was made of cheese that's fishing for the right answer <laughs> rob that's what the world is yeah, i suppose a anaxagoras came to believe that 
Shit, the moon was a rock. God damn it. <laughs> yeah, post cheese rock. So Rob wins by about oh, twenty eight hundred years. years. Yeah, yeah. This, I feel pretty good about that. Yeah, you can have this one. You yeah. can. But there was no, one. there was no particular person. It just seemed like it came into being, right? Probably that was the a, around the time people were being able to see the surface of the moon. Yeah, that was the earliest time that it was like widely understood as a as a saying. Weird. Well, <laughs> take that, the moon. Yeah, you big rock cheese. Yeah, at least you're not Iowa, but. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dearie me. All right. <laughs> I believe that's the end of part one, Bobo. Nope. What? You have more? Yeah. I just have a couple of famous science theories that were later debunked. Oh, I tried to, to, to look up a couple and I was, I was thoroughly uninspired by them. So maybe you found some cool ones. There were a lot of uninspiring ones, but I you found had more a couple that I thought I were chuckle-worthy, except all cookies. Yep. Lay them on me. <laughs> Not literally, like you're about to make that joke. Say this. What joke was the... I about to make? Well, I can't lay them on you. You'll be really heavy or something. Wow. You think so little of me. <laughs> I think so little of you because you're a tiny person. Ha <laughs> <laughs> I was just trying to make a joke about how you're tall. I can't think of a lot of you. But... In 1811, Johann Friedrich Meckel. Predicted so this sorry these are some theories that someone has like made a prediction that's turned out to be pretty much right but is based on all the wrong evidence and later oh. someone's been like I mean you were right but also very very wrong which I thought was quite like interesting. you were right by accident yeah pretty much you get no credit for being right yeah so Johann Friedrich Meckel in 1811 Meckel just Meckling along uh, successfully predicted. <laughs> I thought that was a better joke there. I was wrong. Uh, just meckling along. <laughs> I should have meckled a better joke. Nope. <laughs> Successfully predicted that human embryos would have gill slits. And his basis for that was that the most perfect organisms, which are humans, develop, like in the mother's womb, via stages corresponding to each of the less perfect species, such as fish, amphibians, and reptiles. So in your womb, sure. you, you go through a fish stage, obviously, before you turn into a human. Well, you get a tail. You kind of look fishy. Don't make all this about you, Lloyd. <laughs> yeah, that was better. It's getting better. Yeah, uh, it made sense, at least. As it happens, early human embryos do have slits in their necks that look a little like gills. Probably something to do with sharing some common dna from the ancestor very many long times ago with a trout nothing to do with being a fish in our mother's wombs <laughs> but they believed this for like 20 or 30 years no longer than that they believed it until charles darwin's theory of evolution took hold in the second half of the 19th century and he, that's he a just, long time to think that we're fish yeah right and everyone's like yeah okay another 18th century example is geologist james hutton who believed that the Earth was an organic body that constantly reproduces itself to indefinitely provide a habitable world for humans. And That's kind of sweet. It's a cute idea. And on the basis of that cute idea, he successfully predicted, so that was his, the beginning of his reasoning, he successfully predicted that veins of granite would be found passing through and mixing with other layers of rock, and also something called angular unconformities, which is rock science, which is boring. We already talked about coming tonight, and there's nothing else useful to talk about there. <laughs> <laughs> Got him again. His theory is so, so wrong, just so wrong. But he was able to successfully predict some stuff about granite that is, is correct. Despite his theoretical errors, he made those successful predictions. And they were correct for like a hundred, well, correct. They were thought to be correct for like a hundred years. And then wow. it was 
pushed out of, of popular science by the contracting earth theory in the late 19th century, which was better, but also mistakenly claimed that valleys and mountain formations were because of the earth contracting and not because of tectonic plates, etc. But anyway, look, we got there eventually. Yeah, who knows what we'll be wrong about in 100 years. Yeah. People used to think electrons were tiny balls. Oh. So, like, you got a couple of electrons. <laughs> it took a second. <laughs> to see them, yeah. Butts. <sighs> yeah. Nice. How, how's your chemistry knowledge? Oh, woeful. Like, worse than my general knowledge. Wow, really? It would be weird if your chemistry knowledge was heaps better than your general knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the point was my general knowledge is struggling. <laughs> okay, cool. Uh, this one's like way too sciencey. Sorry, I started it and then realized that there's a lot to it. You dumb it down? Pretty much. Atoms have electrons that fly around them, and people originally thought electrons were just tiny balls that literally orbited them like planets orbit the sun, which is, I guess, a reasonable cool assumption theory. for early science people. Yeah. And out of that, someone, I don't know who it is, some guy called Summerfield in 1916 used his model as the basis for an equation that correctly describes the detailed pattern of colors of light absorbed and admitted by hydrogen. Like, he nailed it. He got all the frequencies and stuff right. But it's all the maths behind it was wrong. After people discovered quantum mechanics, which is where electrons are not tiny balls, but they kind of exist as a probability rather than a physical little ball. So it's probable that they'll be in a certain area around the nucleus, which is as sciencey as this podcast is ever going to get. I have no idea what the fuck you are talking about. That yep. doesn't make any sense. If that's wrong, Dad, send me an email and I won't reply. It'll be great. <laughs> <laughs> Paul Dirac used that to describe the same pattern of light, and it's the same equation. It ends up with the same theory, but it's come off two entirely different ways of looking wow. at electrons. And I, I, I feel like we need now need to talk about something real stupid. Oh, have I got one for you? <laughs> People used to think that studying the shape of a skull could indicate how smart you were, and it's called phrenology. Oh, yeah, they used to do that on, like, criminals and stuff, right? So and they were convinced that criminals had a certain shaped skull. Yeah. It's now considered pseudoscience, which is good. And, like, yep. pseudoscience. How can you believe anything that is not actual science? <laughs> the only other example of pseudoscience I could think of is naturopaths. So, oh, prepare yeah. to get shit on, like, Iowa naturopaths <laughs> oh imagine being a naturopath from iowa oh wow guys just eat this corn you'll be fine <laughs> i have cancer no you have corn sir <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh good man. you'll get good corn one. sir that and that uh, lloyd is the end of part one <laughs> corn sir it's hashtag hashtag, hashtag upward, upward tweeting. tweeting that's right lloyd it's Time for my favorite segment. It seems like it's not your favorite segment anymore. <laughs> wow, you said that like you really... But I did tweet someone. You did do um, You did do one. So, I mean, for those that have only tuned in in the last episode or so, Upward Tweeting is a mid-segment where we send a tweet directed at someone much more famous than us in the grand hope that uh, one day they'll be on the show. So, Lloyd, who have you twouted this week in order to make us quick famous without any effort i tweeted at alex horn the creator and co-host of taskmaster oh, and, and also the horn section yeah yeah excellent english comedian person very very funny smart talented man i wrote him a poem oh yes light <laughs> it says it's at alex horn a poem for you 
My co-host is tall. You're used to quite large. Come on our show and you'll be in charge. As our guest, you're the boss, the one who takes lead. We can't pay you, though, if that's what you need. <laughs> it started as a strong poem. It ended with a little, there was a little hiccup in the rhyme pattern, I think. Yeah, I didn't say it was going to be a good poem. That's true. Uh, beautiful. And are we having him on the show next week? Uh, no, I haven't heard anything. <sighs> Classic upward tweeting. Hashtag upward tweeting. Send us, send us who you think we should upward tweet. Send us who you think we have a chance of successfully upward tweeting. Put it that way. Good call. What did you learn us this week? I will learn you plenty, Lloyd, but you owe the people something. What? You owe the people a glass of red wine, Lloyd. Uh, all right. I'll be back. Noise. And I'm back. Oh, thank goodness. I was getting worried. Yeah. All right, Lloyd, you have returned with the red wine for the people. Have the people's wine. The people's wine. In fact, what is the, the red wine for the people? Tell us all about it. What are you drinking? Tell us the tasting notes. What do you get on the palate? Does it have good legs? Oh, crikey. Legs. Pretty good. Pretty good. Not runway, but possible. <laughs> okay, good. It's a, it's a, it has an oaky afterbirth. <laughs> uh, office, office quote. That is. Great job. <laughs> it's... Um, I don't know, it's red wine. It's kind of fruity. It's is it called kind of red wine drink? Like, is it what, <laughs> what kind of wine have we got? I don't know. It's some kind of Californian red. I don't know. I didn't look at the label super closely. Sounds... I didn't bring the bottle in here. <laughs> I thought you were drinking from the bottle. <laughs> have some dignity. It's Saturday night. Not late. a lot, mind you. <laughs> hey. Alrighty. This week, I learned that female artists in New York City made an interesting contribution to World War I by forming the Women's Reserve Camouflage Corps which developed or was attempting to develop exceptional camouflage for various terrains in a support to the war effort because all the men were firing guns and dying. Yeah, idiots. Like, it's super interesting. Yeah. I'll whip through the, the key points. So I dig, dug a little further into this, and Team America, as usual, have framed this in a way that suits them most by highlighting the contribution from the grand old US of A far more than da, 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 honestly. Da, da. <laughs> Guys, we saved everyone. <laughs> so it seems the origin, obviously, is from the British and French efforts in Europe who are, you know, fighting most of the war. Yep. Where in Classic. the second yeah, second half of the war, as more and more young men were being called to the front, more women got involved in industry at home to support the war effort. And this include camouflage. And this involved like painting entire warships, vehicles, guns, constructing like nets and garlands to camouflage weaponry in the field, camouflage suits, uh, and like everything you could think of camouflage related that were then sent to the front for use. And these yeah. women from, I assume, originated in France, were called camoufleurs, which is an excellent name. Really cool. Also, saboteurs is cool. France has cool words. Not much else, though. No. <laughs> Not as bad as Iowa. But cool. <laughs> yeah, cool, cool words. <laughs> cool words and surrender. Wow. <laughs> yeah, look, one, one out of two is not too bad, whereas Iowa is just corn. <laughs> <laughs> anyway... So really, really, if you're from Iowa, please email us, and I would love I would, to. I would love it. to know. No, I'd love to know some exciting things about Iowa. Yeah, can, if you can win us over, we'll have you on the show. If you can convince us that Iowa is interesting, you can come on. Yeah, and 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 come on and get shit on. <laughs> it's not that kind of show. <laughs> it has been thus far, though. <laughs> anyway, right, camouflage. I think it was America focused because. At some point in the 2000s, relatively recent history, uh, someone dug up some really cool photos from the National Archive of the U.S. 
camouflage, which we'll get to in a hot second. But, you know, it turned into a clickbait style article and was made more popular than the original contributions from Mm. the British and French and other allies. Anyway, America finally enters the war in 1917 and women become involved in similar projects in the US. And in November, a specific call was put out for female artists to join a camouflage training program in Massachusetts. Once training was complete, the Specialized Women's Reserve Camouflage Corps was formed in April 1918, consisting of about 40 female artists based in a dope building in New York City, just trying to like develop cool apparel which is clothing for the noobs out there uh (laughs) so i think they started trying to develop like basically ghillie suits like camouflage suits for gunners scouts and snipers to help them blend into the landscape and this involved them like going out to cool parks and like observing terrain and then building these suits namely this is at van Cortland park in the bronx uh, which i think is a kind of inner city wildlife park uh, not wildlife, it's not like full of lions and stuff. Like more of a nature reserve than Central Park is a curated park, if that makes sense. Sure. And I think it's from one of these parks where this great series of photos from the National Archive surfaced. And it's basically just a, a p- pictures of a bunch of these women in like these camouflage suits. And there'll be one of them like standing in a, in a landscape. And then the next photo is them. They've like crouched or stood next to a rock and blended in. And like some of them are really good. Some of them are like, where'd she go? Uh, and some of them are like, there they are. <laughs> that, I think that's her. Yeah, I, I found the rock person. Shoot it. <laughs> Imagine if that was how you passed the test. We're going to shoot what we think is you, and if you're good enough, you survive. Yeah, they're really trimming the strong will survive. <laughs> uh, so that was that was really cool. The series of photos is cool, and um, if they're open open source, that's not what you call photos. If they are public domain, we will attempt yep. to share some on the socials so you can delve into that piece of history. But yeah, just just a really cool thing that happened mostly by people that weren't American, but highlighted by the Americans. <laughs> because they entered the war. That This unit was formed in April 1918. The war finished in November 1918. <laughs> Late to the party, uh, but good, good nonetheless. And I think um, this was taken up again in World War II. Yeah. So... In your wildly interesting research, Lloyd, what did you learn? Just a couple of specific things on these actual World War I women. A British artist, Norman Wilkinson, submitted a proposal to the Royal Navy and created Dazzle Camouflage, which is like, go on. I was just going to say, when I first read that, I was really hoping it would just be painting like boats in like fabulous colors. (laughs) Like, here is our boat and she is gorgeous. Just to confuse the enemy. That can't be a warship. Germans are like, wow, that is is dazzling. Das is dazzling, you guys. Wow. Wow, I am so dazzled. (laughs) Klaus, have you seen this boat? (laughs) (laughs) It is so beautiful. Don't, don't, no, don't shoot it. Hold fire. Yeah, the Germans are very camp in World War One. Uh, they were called like the ca- their armies were called camp groupers. Were they? Uh, I learned it from Company of Heroes. It's a game about World War Two. Makes sense. <laughs> and unfortunately, dazzle camouflage was less dazzly and more like blending in with the landscape. If you were looking at it, I like- don't think it was. I disagree. It wasn't fabulous, uh, as we have probably wildly inappropriately described it. But it wasn't. It also wasn't camouflage in a sense. Hmm. I, Give me your explanation. Okay. I read and saw some po- photos of like 
really cool looking ships, uh, but they wouldn't stop me shooting at them if, if I was the enemy. But I think they were painted in really stark, bright, like it was three or four colors, really bright, lots of angular lines. And the intent was to paint the camouflage on the ship so that the lines and angles didn't match up with the lines and angles of the actual boat. Ah. So that when it was traveling, it was really confusing as to its exact position, speed and direction, because what you're looking at didn't physically match up with the actual ship. So it kind of, it was kind of like those, what are they called? Visual illusion posters where like it's all straight yeah. lines, but it looks like it's moving kind of thing. That makes sense. To me, it looked like that it was trying to blend in with like the white and black choppiness of the waves, but yeah, I like your explanation better. Suz for reading. No, that's cool. I don't, I don't do it. So I think that's the, <laughs> I don't do it. <laughs> I actually forgot how. I think that was the original intent behind it. Like, did you see some of the photos of some of these boats? Mm-hmm. And you still thought they were it is, it is, into the waves. It is. <laughs> well, I mean, if you look at like on a choppy sea, the choppy sea is quite angular and stark colors. Yeah, okay. At a distance, at nighttime, maybe you could be blended in. Pocket I lost us. Maybe it was a bit of both. See, 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 see. But that, that was very cool. What was his name? Norman... Uh, Wilkinson. Norman Wilkinson. And yeah, like I think he... The Admiralty was like, yeah, okay, we'll give that a go. And they ended up painting like over 2,000 ships with various designs in this vein. And they were like... They turned yeah. around a ship in like a couple of days. And it was often... It was like Norman directing groups of often female artists. Yeah, the uh, the camouflers took part in that 11 artists female artists worked under him yeah to paint a lot of those ships it's pretty cool there were some there were some cool photos of them like it would be so unsafe now but it's kind of like when they were building all them tall buildings in america like sitting on planks of wood just like next to the boat with a tin of paint painting all this stuff no safety mm. harnesses etc etc pretty cool very cool what else did you yeah. camouflage my last bit on these camouflage cores in particular is that they were disbanded after World War One, but they did get used during World War Two in Australia, Britain, New Zealand, and the US, definitely, and probably other places as well. But those four places had a lot of women creating camouflage netting and mm. um, sending it to the front line. So they contributed to multiple global conflicts. Yeah, super awesome. Yeah. I have some stuff on, like, the history and ancient camouflage and then i just have a nice. couple of like really really cool badass women that contributed to the war that's awesome well let me jump in with a, a quick one and then we'll we'll flip back to you Twit. this week's attempt at more exciting offshoots than than usual i googled camouflage competitions Ooh. and unfortunately one of the main search results was a <laughs> custom designed handmade competition bikinis in camo print <laughs> uh less uh less feminist leading yeah so just keep an eye out i sent you one in the post oh great <laughs> all right will... now your your bits can blend in yep i will put a picture up on our twitter when that arrives <laughs> and then i thought i found a legit one but it was like an aussie like one of those like you know military surplus kind of shop shoppies yoldy military shop things called yeah. army and outdoors and it held its own like website-based camo world cup earlier this year which was just like people voting on different camo prints from around the world to determine the best camo print and in a wildly exciting uh, read super boring <laughs> photo finish they made a whole video about it, it was terrible uh, the best <laughs> the best camo in the world is oh no sorry the third place was british mtp in second place was us multicam Number one camouflage, Lloyd. It's the New Zealand DPM. How fun is that? Wow. 
really cool. If also, you... though, wouldn't camouflage be different based on where you are in the... What was the anag letters for New Zealand? DPM, uh, Dick Protective Motif. I just want to look at a picture of it and... Because if it's mind-blowing, then I'll... Let it's you know. not... Hey, that looks just like camo. <laughs> yeah, but so subtly different. Yeah. I think I've read uh, at least the US one, multi-cam. Like you say, different for different terrains. They were like, that's too expensive. So they tried to create one that was generally camouflaging in most terrains. <laughs> right. It's not It's not great for the Arctic. I don't want to talk any more about Army and Outdoors. That was boring as shit. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. In an exciting turn of events, however, Lloyd... Ooh. I then did look up professional hide-and-seek. <laughs> like like that a lot. Which is more the vibe that I was looking for. And thankfully, there is a global competition spearheaded by a group in Italy. It is called Nascondino World Championship and was held every year from 2010 until 2018. I assume it may have stopped recently because of COVID. Boo. <laughs> Anti-COVID here. <laughs> yeah. Take that. COVID probably came from Iowa. It's not true. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh dearie me. But it's not, it's not traditional hide and seek. It's more like, do you remember playing like in primary school, like 4040 home? Is that what it was called? Oh my God. I can't remember the game, but that's just like. That rings a bell? Yeah. I th I th or I think some people call it like home base. It's like where there is a point you have to get to. Everyone runs out and hides and there's one person that is like the tagger or the seeker. And you have to like yes. hide such that you can get back to the home base and you got to touch it. And for some reason, we used to also have to say 40-40 home, which means you're safe. Yeah. I, yeah. You're 100% right. Great game. Yeah. So it's it's basically a semi, I say pro. It's like a, a semi pro version of that rather than traditional hide-and-seek. But I still thought it was cool. Even better, it's held near an abandoned town on the picturesque Lake Como called Consono. That is cool. Which I thought was cool. But then the videos I saw of them doing it was in some field near there instead of in the abandoned buildings. I was like, well... What? Why are we not doing urban 4040 home? It's way cooler. Yeah, very lame. <laughs> Stupid Nascom Dino. I feel like you could just make that so cool. Yeah, like so cool. I mean, it looked pretty fun. But not as cool as yeah. like if we were in charge, it would be better. Is I guess is I guess what I'm saying. Oh yeah, we'd add we'd add danger traps. With that, be at nighttime. It'd be awesome. Yeah, certain threat of death. Mm. Not like you'll probably be fine, <laughs> but just like in the back of your mind, you're like, uh, yeah. If if these nice. two things happen at the same time, I may die. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I would also like to know if any of our listeners have been involved in or played any silly games on. Even more than just the backyard level, even like local amateur club level. Organized children games as an adult. Yeah, and paintball doesn't count. I'm talking hide and seek. I'm talking pro tag, which is a thing. Have you seen those videos? Oh, they're amazing. It's like parkour duo. It's really cool. Yeah, well, or like one-on-one -on -one and two-on-two. -on -two. I don't even get yeah. it, but it's hectic. I would like, if you've been in that, send us a thing. So t tell me about Amazing Women in World War One. I. I will get to Amazing Women in... Cough, cough, World War Two. because during my research, I forgot what war we were doing. Wow. But I did some stuff on, like, the history of camo and ancient camo. And stuff. Nice. So, it's fairly new in terms of, like, big armies using camouflage. Obviously, throughout history, hunters and people who 
travel in the woods solo. <laughs> travel in the woods camo. solo. Well, just like what not an big occupation. <laughs> if you put a thousand soldiers in camo and made them march through the woods, you'd be like, I'm pretty sure there's a thousand dudes coming at us. Yeah, you wouldn't see. be like, what is, is that? What, is that a wide tree? Is that a bush? <laughs> How did that wizard get there? <laughs> hey. And most big battles were like face to face. So it's much more important to be able to recognize who's on your team rather than to be camouflaged. Smart. I love how you called opposing armies teams. <laughs> it's like tag. <laughs> but way worse. So Julius Caesar had camouflage ships that he like scouted along the coast of Britain. Really? Like bluish green painted and the sailors and the like marine soldiers that were on them wore the same colored. Interesting. Like bluish green. That's cool. Which is pretty cool. But really it was like the invention of the musket. So the British rifles yep. were like the first modern army to wear green. Because they were from a long way away. And in a green jacket, a long way away, you probably wouldn't be able to see them that well. Oh, so that was the reason. Um, it wasn't just like pick a color so that we look different from the French. No, it was It was like, a, I mean, it's a pretty half-hearted attempt. It's like, <laughs> just wear a green jacket and you'll be fine. Yeah, you're still wearing that stupid hat and like, it's <laughs> just the dumbest uniforms. Yeah. For fighting. like the What was cool, it, so British troops fought in India in like the mid 19th century and they got what was drab was the color i think oh, it's yeah. like that that yellow color was imported yep. from england to make them camouflage in like the dusty sandy yeah, environment nice. but when they needed there was they had so many soldiers in india they just couldn't yeah. send enough so they used to dye it locally um and they would use the red sand to dye their yep. clothes and the uniform became known as khaki oh really which was which is the Urdu word for dusty. Ah, which that's I where was that kind of pop- interesting. That is wildly interesting. Hmm. Great job. Yeah. So my other attempt at cool offshoot path was to try and find other weird industries or things that were done at home during the war. Nice. I said, I, I tried to look up industries, but I ended up just looking up stupid weapons that were invented. Uh, the first of them, Lloyd, is the bat bomb. A bat bomb. Yeah. So Can I guess what your stupid weapons do? Yes. The bat bomb. Is there anything to do... It, is bat... Does it stand for, like, big-ass thing? Or you said you were going to guess, bat? not play 20 questions. All right. I think it stands for big-ass thing. Big-ass thing, I wish. No, it's to do with bats. <laughs> so, oh, that... All right. Opposite. Some dude in America went to Mexico, saw a bunch of bats somewhere in a cave there, and was like, guys, I've got a great idea. We could strap tiny bombs to these bats and then drop them all over Japan, and then they would roost in Japanese structures until the bombs went off burning stuff in Japan to the ground, and uh, I assume also killing the bat. (laughs) Good lord. Right? And this genuinely made it into the test phase. America developed tiny kerosene bombs, and also a much larger bomb. The large bomb was like a bat house that could house over a thousand bats, and then they would cool the bat bomb, such that all the bats were just kind of (laughs) semi-hibernating. And then they would drop it. The bats would all fly off with their tiny bombs, the big bomb would explode, and then all the tiny bombs would go off and set fire to stuff wherever the bats ended up roosting. And like I said, the, oh ba- my goodness. the bats didn't, they didn't do so good. But tests were like weirdly successful and work and research went into this for two years. My God. Until someone was like, hey, I have this bomb that kills more people than you could even imagine. And so they- they Unless you have like four billion bats, (laughs) this is going to blow you away. Literally blow you away. And so research kind of just fizzled as they focused on the nuclear program. I mean, it's creative, but it's just a little odd. One benefit of the atom bomb was that it was better for bats. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yes, but then potentially they gave the us only- COVID. Oh, we should have put them in bums. So the atom bomb gave us COVID. Oh, yeah, okay. Hot, te- hot, hot take. Oh, oh got to cut that one out. <laughs> Might leave it in and then just feel bad about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, nice. All right. All right. The Panjan drum. The- <laughs> and you, you already know what that is, so we'll just skip that one, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The pan Panjan jam. <laughs> the Panjan jam. The Panjan drum. <laughs> it was basically a big wheel. Two wheels connected by a little axle in the middle. And we're talking height of a person or bigger, maybe. It's basically a big wheel. The axle in the middle was packed with explosive and the wheels were propelled by rockets, of course. So they had like just big fireworks. Basically, get to a landing beach, set all the rockets off. This big wheel like pinwheels towards like beach defenses and explode and make a hole big enough for a tank to drive through. Holy, I, I mean, that's like a Hollywood movie. There's video of, of it on YouTube. Oh my God, I have to watch this. Is it as cool as you like? Oh no, it, well, because because you've never heard of it, it never made it to the beaches at D-Day because it never worked. Yeah. Okay. It seemed but every I mean, single, It's yeah, it's pretty stupid. Every single time, one of the rockets would misfire and it would just like, just like careened off, fell over, like never ever could drive straight. <laughs> and it was tested on beaches they just like took it somewhere in the north of the uk and like ran tests on public beaches good lord we've also got the pigeon guided missile oh i actually watched a documentary on this a while ago really pretty uh pretty fascinating yeah like so this guy is an animal behaviorist a bf skinner got a grant from the u.s government to develop pigeon guided missiles pigeons were smart enough trainable and had good vision so he genuinely created like a nose cone that would go on the top of a missile that would house three pigeons. And they were so well trained that they could peck in the direction of a target. And he used like a picture of an enemy warship for the training. And then pecking in that direction would cause cables to steer the missile. And this was also successfully tested. I assume that lines up with the documentary you saw. Yeah. Unbelievable. I heard the pigeon union wasn't so into it due to the kamikaze nature of their position in the missile <laughs> they didn't get parachuted out at the last second yeah no si- similar fate to the bats from the bat bomb mm. but it never got sufficient support to proceed and i think in the mid 50s the original or og electronic guided systems were beginning development so the pigeons got off scot free <sighs> lucky lucky pigeons. to be fair pigeons contributed quite a lot to world war ii in other ways as well yeah all right i have two last points and they are two incredible women that contributed to world war ii awesome both in like cool spy ways yes first lady is christina skarbek nice um she's polish nice and was like diehard polish like she she loved her country in 1939 she immediately tried a listing with the army uh and was she went to like all around poland she went to several locations and they're like no you can't join you're a woman so she traveled to london and went to like the secret service office and was said if you let me join i will sneak into poland on skis where <laughs> no one can get in at the moment and i'll deliver british propaganda damn and they were like fuck i've got nothing to lose may as well <laughs> it was described as the coldest winter in memory really so many bodies were found during the thaw that the germans doubled their patrols worried that people were trying to enter the country really she got in completely fine with her co- colleagues describing her as craving danger, constantly <laughs> like seeking out 
risky uh, yeah. situations. She not only delivered the propaganda, but started smuggling intelligence out of Poland. Nice. Multiple times she evaded capture and execution, and once she bit her tongue to make it bloody to convince officers that she had tuberculosis. Wow. By, which like, is bleeding at the mouse. Yeah, yeah, which is uh, contagious, so they wouldn't want to hang out with her. Right. Her lover was imprisoned by the Nazis. She found out what prison he was at and then snuck around the perimeter singing his favorite song until she heard him sing it back so she could find out what cell he was in. She then walked into the prison, demanded that he be released on the grounds that the Allies had just landed and that the Allies would show them mercy if they released the prisoners. And the German soldiers in the prison agreed and released every single person in the prison. Really? Yeah, because she just fucking strutted in the front door and was like, listen, the fucking British are here. They're coming up the street. (laughs) Boy. Yeah. Wow, what a lady. And she was described as Churchill's favorite spy. Nice. Because Churchill's daughter was asked by a journalist if she had ever heard of Christina Scarbeck. Mm. And she said, of course I have. That was my father's favorite spy. Nice. Which is very cool. Yeah, that's super awesome. Damn. The last one I have is Pearl Kornyolev. Kornyolev. <laughs> From Iowa. Uh, no. <laughs> she went through the Special Operations Executive, which was a branch of like spying that yeah. Churchill created to also get women into the war. Yep. She was described as the best shot to ever go through the SOE, man or woman, the best shot nice. to ever go through it. She ended up leading 3,500 guerrilla soldiers in the forests of France, organizing supply drops and attacks on the German supply chain. I think I've heard and of her. At the end of the war, she was offered a civil MBE for her services, and she declined it, saying there was no- nothing civil about the work I did. Damn. Really cool. Yeah. God, that's what was her name? Pearl Kornyolev, C-O-R-N-I-O-L-E-V. Kornyolev. Corny Olev. That's what the lads called I mean, her. and there were like there were like dozens and dozens of examples of women sneaking in and out of front lines, assassinating German officers. Really? Delivering supplies, smuggling people out of um war zones. Yeah, that's awesome. Great research. What an uplifting note to end on. Yeah. That's it, Lloyd. God, I had so much fun reading that. <laughs> yeah, that's Good. it. I'm glad. <laughs> Episode seven, y'all, we did it. We did it. Thank you so much for, for tuning in again. I feel like we requested the end of season three. a lot of things to be emailed in. So Yeah, we made a lot of requests. burdens on you. I don't remember yeah. any of them, so listen to the episode again. <laughs> Take note and email us at... The UCS podcast at gmail.com. Send us all those things. Also, don't forget your hashtag lobe snaps. Send them through. That doesn't ring any bells oh, for you. Oh, yeah. Look. Oh, God. The- <laughs> <laughs> and the hashtag bell end list as well we want that yeah we want hashtag bell end list hashtag lobe snaps and of course as usual any complaints or questions for our next segment with sean which will be at some point excellent i love some points yeah it's gonna be great time. episode eight next week is anything exciting happening lloyd oh i don't know let me check the planner there's literally only yes. way there's only one way to does, find out <laughs> does that surprise everyone that we have a planner yeah, uh, but it shouldn't surprise you that everything in the planner for episode eight says NA. So I don't know. It could be exciting. <laughs> NA or TBC. Something might happen. Tune in next week to find out. Until then, stay unintelligent and don't go to Iowa. Cheerio.